Good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are my journals out loud. And this is for Tuesday. It is August 22nd, 2023. Time is marching on most quickly. And as you saw from the title, I want to explore this idea of what we hear, how we listen, especially in the face of, I guess, what we would call, or I am calling, you know, the wisdom and the warnings. And I want to throw in extraordinary kindness. And I have uh, heard several stories, you know, in the last uh, month or so, and I'm trying to pull them all together in my mind in a way to communicate these ideas, because there's some common threads that I think are so pertinent and relevant, extraordinarily relevant for this moment in time, and how this all ties up into our nervous system. And I think one of the most important things that we can understand is that there are processes within us that are happening chemically and electromagnetically and in other, you want to call it the intuition, the, the sixth sense. There's so many things happening within us that we're not consciously aware are occurring. Uh, and we all have a different wiring system for that. You know, men and women's brains are extremely different. There's some severe, not severe, there's some significant processing issues between their brains. And while we all have the same basic fight, flight, freeze response, you know, we're learning that we have a nervous system in our gut called the enteric nervous system. Uh, There's new information that we have a nervous system in our heart. And, you know, I'm listening to all this and, and my goal is always to keep it as simple as possible and as practical as possible. And one of the big issues and questions I have and focus on, you know, both in how I live my life and what I try and share and why we all focus on different things is this contrast between what is valued and what is valuable. And that does not fall under the common sense or even wisdom and warnings. And, you know, as I listen to how other people's experiences play out in their lives, I mean, I'm always struck by It's easy to forget how complex each of us have in our own personal experience and all the ways that shapes how we listen, what we see, how we feel, uh, and where we are and why we are with our intuitive systems. And so as we move into this period of time where it's going to become increasingly chaotic, uh, you know, as I spoke about in the last podcast, you know, through cycles, through history, through what's happening now, through crucibles, there's just some basic steps. Things escalate, they peak, you know, there's a crash, there's a recovery period. Uh, We are always in process and the processes, the events and circumstances as process don't change human nature doesn't really change it's just our personal experience within the context of that event circumstance and how we process and so the value comes and that we all have different skill sets we have different 
support systems within our human biology or physiology that, you know, in a perfect world, which we don't live in and never will, if we could step back and see that and own it, we would move in a very positive flow state like you do if you ever play team sports and it just all comes together and everybody's specialty is heightened and you just it's a wonderful feeling and we see that you know in nature nature works together because they don't have these long conversations about don't tell me what to do or this happened to me when I was a child or uh, you know I don't like the way you looked at me we don't have all these complicated conversations when you see uh, groups or or whatever herds or whatever of animals they just don't think that way they just move much more what we would call instinctually and cohesively and that is for survival and it's so lost on us at this point because I think we're so divorced from being in nature which is very it's been my experience is very honing of a lot of this skill set and that civilization itself has collapsed it but we also don't view it as valuable and I think what's most difficult and shocking is we don't value it in when it's a life-saving thing or extraordinary kindness. And what a powerful uh, process it is to be able to step back and recognize what's happening when it's happening versus when we look back over time, how we shuffle that within our mind and our memory and our value system. And so before I kind of give you some of these examples, you know, one of the things that, that happens when you are in acute an acute crisis stage, high adrenaline. So it doesn't matter why your stress response is highly activated, but you lay down memories in different way than you do when it's just a day in and day out. So that's why when we think back in time and we think about some kind of intense crisis moment, we can Uh, find ourselves able to recall a higher level of detail than, you know, the, the boring stuff, the day in and the day out of our past. And so, you know, there's different biological processes that are happening to us that are being orchestrated. That's why I like the idea of the conductor of your nervous system that's happening. And, you know, we can't live in a high crisis state 24-7, 365, because we would die. You cannot sustain indefinitely a high adrenaline state. And so the capacity to tolerate that is also a nervous system issue. Some people can sustain it much better than other people. Some people can turn it on and turn it off with much more simplicity. Uh, One of the things that happens is as you age, if you've had a highly stressful life and you've lived in a high adrenaline state for long periods of time, uh, it's not technically how it works, but for a visual, your on-off switch breaks. You can't turn your anxiety, your fear, your worry, your depression off. It it's, gets stuck 
It's like having the accelerator get stuck. You cannot, when you take your foot off the accelerator, there's no spring back. It doesn't release. So so these things are all important for a lot of different reasons, not just getting us through any kind of specific moment, but it affects our quality of life, both in the crisis, before the crisis, after the crisis. And we are in a build-up phase, and we're seeing how people are reacting to what is now more than normal. We have definitely more than a normal level of crisis, but we're not at peak yet. And we all respond very differently. And what struck me about these stories, so the first one was this funny guy who uh, was a lawyer, he couldn't get a job, so he went into the army. And uh, he had to fill out a questionnaire, and the questionnaire was asking about his spiritual support system. And so he said no. Uh, And then he gets a knock on the door by this guy who's a, a a Baptist pastor. And the pastor says, well, I see you're Jewish. And he goes, how do you know I'm Jewish? Right. And so this pastor makes these heartfelt efforts to support this tiny Jewish community within this situation. And as he's telling the story, it's just funny, like all the things that this pastor does, they're kind of bumbling. Uh, He's just an He's a happy guy. He's smiling. He has an easy way about him. His, uh, he would be perfect prime target for humiliation and judgment. Uh, but this guy goes along. He doesn't resist. He doesn't push back. He just goes along with the whole thing, even though in his head, you know, he's running this dialogue. But when he looks back, it was the Iraq. So all these years later, when he looks back at the six years in his service and he, and what was extraordinary about this moment that he was sharing was that for, he had been deployed for a year and they were getting bombed every day. He said, you know, the stress level was off the charts. People were in a very bad way and it was not, there was no break, you know, and a year is too long to live in a heightened state of stress. I mean, that's very damaging to us. So what was fascinating to me as he's retelling this story is that when he looks back he sees that as a peak memory moment of extraordinary kindness. And I thought, you know, there's so much value in that. And that's why I say it's so important. It's not, when I'm talking about, you know, wired for danger, uh, I'm not talking about that's the only people that are important. We all have incredibly valuable offerings. And so, you know, I did the mental exercise, like, am I capable of being kind? Not really. That's not my go-to. That's not my default. It's an ideal that I hold in my heart. Uh, As I was contemplating this, you know, my little routine with the doggies in the morning is to drop my heart, open it, and, you know, we have our little sharing love moment, right, when they're all cute and cuddly and they just want to you know, be, they're so sweet for like five minutes. And well, that's not true for 30 seconds until the uh, fighting playing begins. But there's this easiness because we're in a safe place. We're protected. Uh, I can drop my guard and I can open myself to extraordinary kindness. And so I thought, you know, I'm capable of it. We're all capable of it. But my nervous system doesn't allow me to do that 
in periods of high peak stress. And the example I'll give, and the reason why this is so important, is understanding who we are is so powerful. I don't know anything that's more valuable. And it's not the guns. It's not even food and water. Because when we understand who we are, it allows us to navigate all the things that we fear and all the things that we love. And it allows us to take our part within the cohesive group. If we are just defaulting into a fear state anytime there's a crisis, then it becomes chaos and bad things start to happen. And I'm going to cover that in just a minute. And so when I, uh, yesterday was, uh, well, I'm recording this Monday. So yesterday on Sunday, I went to a community market because I, you know, try to figure out what I can do and in my offline world. And I had the dogs with me and I was trying to talk to people because I was very focused on what I information I wanted to gather. And, you know, the dogs were a big hit and everybody wanted to pet them, but they kept getting out of their leash. And, you know, we were, I was right next to a highway with high speed cars. And so, uh, I knew there was a danger, but I was having trouble staying focused on them and my primary task. And I swear they, they you know, because they pull so hard on the leash, they stretch their collar. So they kept uh, getting out of their collars and thank God they didn't make a run for it. They just were, uh, you know, kind of moving slowly and I was able to get them. But I was aware how I wasn't able to protect them, that my focus, uh, because I was in an information gathering state of mind, my capacity to keep them safe, I wasn't able to focus on that. And that's that split process that if we're not aware that we are in a situation that requires uh, an awareness that there's danger, that's really important information. Now I have a a choke collar that I can have. I just hadn't took it with me uh, so that they can't do that in the future. But, But that was a really powerful moment for me because it reminded me how uh, when we're focused on something else and we stop being in our danger evaluation state, that's when bad things happen. That's when children run out into the street. That's when our dogs run away. Uh, that's when somebody breaks in and uh, or slips in the back door because we're not paying attention. And if you are a person that is good at paying attention to the dangers, you know, you're also probably someone who's hyper-focused. So when we get too focused on X, we're not paying attention to Z. And these are all just tiny little things, but it's in that flash moment that something goes wrong. And you know, we can intellectualize all this, but it doesn't mean anything if we don't have a way to integrate within ourselves what's important, what do I value, and what's valuable. And so the next story that I wanted to reference was 
a woman who at 18, she was from Chile. She, uh, her parents were revolutionary. So she moved to Canada to be safe. Uh, the Pinochet movement or uh, time frame, uh, I think it was the late 80s. Uh, so she went back at 18 and she married an Argentinian uh, and they were for four years part of the resistance. They were going to fight, they were fighting the Pinochet. And it was, she talked about being in a heightened state of fear for four years. Now, she was probably more wired for danger because they were uh, flying in planes of food. They were uh, hiding people in their house. They were uh, running back and forth across the border in Argentina to supply. And so she and she's very young. Right. So she's still. Uh, but but and her story, her point of her story was what was real because she was in a heightened state of fear for four years, and she started to question what which experiences were real. Was I being paranoid? Were people really following me? Now remember when we're in a heightened state of fear, which is what happens when uh, you move into revolution and you decide to fight. Uh, you know, as we're inching towards that, you know, in our own countries, it is, uh, you know, you are in a different chemical state and you're in a heightened state of awareness. And so if you're a wired for danger person, you are scouting, you are listening, you are, you, and if you're really good naturally or by training, which was my failure with the dogs, right? Because I was focused on not protecting them. I was focused on uh, what I wanted, right? So in this situation, you know, she's she's aware that she is always at risk. So she has a heightened state of awareness. And that wears on you. You have to make the decision that you want to live and you're going to pay attention and you have to trust yourself. So she's scanning and all the time. And... She's in the grocery store and she sees a guy and she immediately flashes intuitively and she's pulling in a lot of information, whether she's aware of it or not. This is secret police and he's following us. And she can see as they're moving through the aisles that he's following. And so she and the husband had already talked about, you know, an escape plan. And so they were able to slip out, uh, get into a building next door that had windows that you could see out but you couldn't see in they had those reflection windows and she saw the guy run out there was a car outside he's got he's waving his gun around and then the car takes off so she was pretty sure that this guy was looking for them and they had just escaped being you know taken disappeared tortured and killed right and so you know, the flooding occurs and you lay down memories in a different way. So fast forward 25 years and she's writing about this experience and she goes back. She's back in Canada. She goes back to Argentina. She talks to her husband. She describes this experience. Her husband has no memory and she goes into detail about all this. He doesn't remember any of it. And so now she starts to think she's crazy. But I wanted to highlight that because that's a really intense moment. If you've ever been, I mean, most of us haven't been persecuted. You know, we might have had somebody, uh, you know, out in the street kind of look threatening. And, you know, we, but most of us have not been in a situation where somebody was literally 
following us to kidnap, torture, and disappear us, right? I mean, most of us, if you have had that experience, then you have something really interesting to share. So he has no memory of it. And he can recall all these other details of their life. And she's like, oh my God, did I make this up? Am I crazy? So, you know, in an acts of synchronicity, while she's there, she sees this article and there's this picture of a man and she flashes at an intuitive level. This is the guy that was following us. And then her intellect takes over. Well, that can't be him. It's been 25 years. I barely saw him. How can I know that this is the guy, right? And then she reads the bio and he is secret police and he did kidnap, torture, and kill people. And he did keep records. And so she's like, wow, that's really disturbing. So she goes home a couple months later. Oh, something just crashed in the back. That's always good. Uh, So a couple months later, she gets this email and the email says, you'll find this interesting. And in it is a hundred plus page document where somebody has gone through all of his files and uh, copied them and is distributing them to the resistance fighters. And she finds within all of this, a paragraph that describes her, her husband, the experience and the plan and the plan they were following her and him was to kidnap torture and kill. And she has this huge wave of relief that she's not crazy and realization about what had almost happened to her. And I share that because, you know, one of the things I've talked about with people in terms of how we move forward into these situations where we don't know how crazy it's going to get. We don't know how scary it's going to get. Is that, you know, you need to trust the people who have the high level of intuition to, to read the situation. And those are often wired for danger people or children or animals who don't have all their defenses and defaults into place where her knowing was so fast and not logical and not common sense and not well thought out and not reasonable. It was a flash. And had she not responded and her husband had not uh, listened, they would be dead. But what was fascinating to me is he has no memory of it. And that's our nervous system. That's how we deal with danger. We all have very, very different experiences with it. And how you question yourself, how you doubt when others who don't understand you dismiss you. And we do that to children. Instead of teaching children to be highly tuned in and not losing that intuitive connection, we constantly dismiss them. You know, you'll have a little child who says, uh, you know, you say to the little kid, I want you to hu- uh, hug Uncle Harry over there. And, and the child starts screaming and crying and the parent picks them up and forces them to uh, hug Uncle Harry. You know, 20 years later, you find out Uncle Harry is a pedophile. But we're teaching that child to not trust or respect that intuitive sense. Uh, You saw that, I don't know if you saw the video where Biden 
was sniffing and petting this little girl and she was screaming and everybody and he like leans in in a really inappropriate way and the parents are all laughing ha <laughs> and laughing oftentimes can be a discomfort signal but again dismissing the child's intuitive sense that this is dangerous and instead of pulling back and honoring that we teach our children to dismiss their innate system warning system their innate sense of wisdom and we don't value it because we base our grown-up version of how we move in the world with what we are naturally wired to do. And there's a reason we have a sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. There's a reason why we have an enteric nervous system. And that enteric is our gut. That is often the one our gut will read the situation before or as a trigger to our sympathetic nervous system. And, you know, I keep trying to tell people, and I'm telling you, because I'm trying to share my wisdom, and I'm trying to offer up a warning system, because that snap decision in the grocery store, just in flash, danger, danger, danger. If we don't trust ourselves, if we're not willing to do something stupid or embarrassing, uh, you know, the consequences could be catastrophic. And... The only way we know we were quote unquote right isn't usually 25 years later when you get a uh, file that validates your intuition was correct, right? Because all you've done is avoid something terrible. And if nothing happens, right, people say, oh, you were wrong. Nothing happened. Uh, it's, you know, we do not live in a culture that that encourages us to operate in a way that we are wired to operate. We're in a culture that is constantly dismissing anybody who does not fit the norm. And how this goes back to the conversations I've been having. That's how we're manipulated. There's, uh, I have uh, a friend who She's so far into the conspiracies, it's exhausting. But I've started to see a pattern with who she listens to. And who she listens to are the people who trigger my BS meter. And there's a guy that she's always trying to get me to listen to because she thinks he's the end-all, be-all. And his following has increased significantly. Uh, and I always think like, you know, why, uh, you know, and that's my personal failure. My personal failure is I don't come off uh, and tell you how it is and to speak from a place of authority in such a way that I collect all these people who are easily manipulated. And he is so slick and he is so, he's a, he's a con artist. And that maybe his information, and he was in prison for like 25 years, like no red flags there, right? But he's so, he's very smart and he's so slick that he's pulling people in left and right because he's telling them what they want to hear in a way that makes him sound like he has real authority. But when we're in fear, when we're trying to control 
things that are uncontrollable, like the future, right, then we want to believe people who tell us some version of a story and her personal version is super, everything is a conspiracy. There is no, there's nothing that's happening that isn't manipulated. I, you know, I can barely listen to her when she talks about the weather, like everything is manipulated. I'm like, you know, weather's been happening since the beginning of time before people were here. I mean, there is some natural weather systems, but everything is a conspiracy. There is no natural thing anymore. And and so we lock into these ways of being system, and it's our nervous system that is defaulting us into these processes. So when we don't understand why we're responding the way we're responding, we get locked into the fear state, which is denial, uh, avoidance, disassociation, uh, depression, anxiety, worry, panic attacks, um, impulsive behavior, addictive behavior. Uh, Most fear responses in a uh, state of not wanting to really understand what's going on because we can't control it are not positive coping things. And they're what create problems. It's when we say yes and we let the vampire into the house because our warning system, we're not paying attention. Just like I was with the dogs, I was not paying attention. It was actually a really interesting moment because, you know, I wanted to look, but it's one of those things that I forget, you know, when I step out of my comfort zone and, you know, these dogs are new and I'm in terms of exposing them to different situations. And, uh, but, you know, the wind was blowing and my hat kept falling off and they're yanking on me in different directions. And, uh, you know, she peed on the carpet when I went into the store and so I had to haul her out. And then I tried to go into this little gallery and he peed on the plant <laughs> And, you know, I'm trying to figure out what people are doing and having conversations and, you know, they're pulling and the wind is blowing and I'm hot and I'm like, oh my God, this is why I, you know, you have to practice. You have to put yourself in different situations. You know, it's one thing to navigate all this without two, and I've never had two dogs. And so this whole, you know, yanking on me and going in two directions at once and, and people are interrupting, you know, what kind of dogs are these? What kind of dogs are these? And, and it was so disruptive to my nervous system because I spend so much time alone and we have such a consistent routine. You know, when I took us out, I was very poorly equipped to process the overload and prioritize. And, you know, thank God they did not run out into the street. You know, my mistake for not bringing the right callers so I could handle them. But, That's the wisdom. The wisdom is learning, learning, learning uh, so that you're listening to the warnings. And so I I wanted to to bring this stuff all up. Again, you know, I understand that these are like heavy, overwhelming. Most people don't want to listen to this kind of stuff. And that and that is because like that chaplain, only I'm not smiley and I don't have extraordinary kindness most of the time because my natural default state out in public and the world is focused. It's either information gathering, you know, like I was then, or it's a safety, like when I meet people, I'm evaluating them for safety. My default isn't to assume that you're an awesome person 
and then we'll see how it goes. My default is boundaries up, evaluation for safety. And, and not everybody functions that way. And it can be a result of trauma or it can just be the way you're wired because you need people in culture, community, systems, tribe, whatever, that are evaluating what is safe. And when we don't understand that as an important part of survival, bad things happen. We let the vampire in and, you know, once the vampire is in, it becomes infinitely more complicated than if you just kept them out in the first place. And and all, you know, that was, you know, sort of the point of the last podcast is all the stories in history have always included wisdom and warnings. And I, you know, not being alive like you, you know, in a pre-information uh, world when all you had was oral history, oral stories. And, you know, so many of the stories were for children, stay out of the woods, bad things happen in the woods, whether it's, you know, vampire stories or werewolf stories, you know, that some of that was creepy stuff that was going on that was real. It was people creeping around in the woods, taking your children. And so animals, you know, hurting children in the there was there was a reason why we taught our children to stay out of the woods alone, and you know we really don't do that anymore. We just you know sort of say, oh, everything's going to be okay. You know, in small towns, everybody knew everybody, and you pretty much knew, you know, where your kids shouldn't go. That doesn't mean they didn't do it, but there was more of an awareness of who was okay and who wasn't okay. And now, because we don't know each other, we're oblivious. And we're at the effect, oftentimes, of that obliviousness, and then it becomes too late. There's just no value uh, in a lot of these qualities uh, that I've been talking about. And and that, you know, sort of goes back to this idea of, you know, what is valued and what is valuable. And we can measure that by where we put our time, where we put our focus, where we put our energy, where we put our money. And, and oftentimes, you know, 99%, I would say, is that in our world today, where we put our time, our money, and our energy is in what we value, but it isn't necessarily valuable. And that's one of those things that you have to be really committed to looking at yourself about and making some hard decisions. And, you know, I have have said for, I don't know how many decades now, you know, there's no real growth or change until we're willing to know what we don't want to know about ourselves. And the only way we can really ever know that is when we make that decision that we want to, because it's uncomfortable and it often requires us to see and know things that 
we don't want to believe is true about us or about others or about our situations or our experiences. And it's much easier to just slip into denial, default, blaming, uh, distracting, disassociating, depression, anxiety, worry, all the things I just talked about. Because your nervous system is screaming at you as best as it can. Danger, danger, danger. And how we respond really is the push for how we drive our life. You know, I was thinking about that in terms of of how uh, people who lead with their heart, uh, and that is lovely until it's dangerous. And if you don't have both people kind of monitoring what's going on, it creates big problems. Uh, and that was sort of, to me, that aha moment when I was thinking about this chaplain or pastor who was demonstrating extraordinary kindness in times of great stress and crisis. And it is awesome, but you still have to people have people guarding the gate. He's behind the gate. He's not in charge of guarding. He's in charge of what he's good at. And when we can understand ourselves, What's valuable in us is often not what is valued in society and culture. Uh, And that's sort of the stress is because, you know, like the woman who was intuitive and sensed the danger, she's asking questions and being paranoid, right? Am I being paranoid? When what skill could be more valuable than to be able to read a situation and move out of the way and not be caught up in the danger. And yet she's just left with uh, part of her questioning I thought was so interesting, just as a sidebar, is that at the time when she was down there, this man who was uh, in his 50s, who was part of the resistance, he'd been in the resistance for so long, I think it was like 18 years he'd been part of it, He got so tired of being paranoid, he broke and he turned himself in with this briefcase full of personal information about other resistance workers to the secret police because he couldn't take the stress of the fear of being picked up and kidnapped, tortured and killed, right? So he just got it over with. He turned himself in and he made all these other people exposed. And so... It is, we all respond to stresses differently. Uh, And we're all being driven by our nervous system responses. And a lot of that we would call intuitive or instinctual. Uh, In many ways, it's just we are gathering information in which we are not consciously aware, but it's happening so quickly. We call it instinct or we call it intuition or a sixth sense. It really just doesn't matter. The The goal is to trust it. And that would be such a gift, you know, if we could teach children to honor that, uh, you know, an early warning system, right? They'll tell you who's okay and who's not okay. You know, one of my big measures is how animals respond to people. You know, people can be, uh, a lot of people who are super warrior types 
are super good with animals. And I will tell you from my perspective, the reason why is that I can drop my guard because they're not insane. They're not going to hurt me without a good reason. People are not sane. People don't make good decisions. But they're also consistent. Their inside energy matches their outside energy. Uh, how you know you can tell what's going on with people is their insides don't match their outsides. And I've always been able to read that. And uh, But grown-ups don't understand that when they don't have that same intuitive sense. And so when you have parents who are oblivious to, the, to what's going on, they bring people into the home that are dangerous. And so, you know, in today's world that's a little bit of danger in the world that's showing up, you know, and that's the conversation that I've been trying to have. And, you know, I've given up is that at a community level, you know, if, if society breaks down, if you bring somebody into the fold, if you bring them behind the barrier, it's too late. The decision is over. I mean, there's too much damage that can be done. And, uh, one of the things I wanted to, you know, talk to the guys who it's a, a little feed store, a little community uh, grocery feed store that's running, you know, the outdoor markets uh, once a week. And, you know, I was asking them, you know, how it was going and, you know, how it's so hard to get people to work together like a co-op. And he's like, yeah, the lady before couldn't get it going and we haven't really been able to either. And how unwilling we are to work together. And I said, well, you, until people get really, really hungry, uh, we're probably never going to work together. But when people get really, really hungry, they also get really dangerous. And and it might be the nicest person in the world, but they also might be the most manipulative, right? They come in vulnerable and helpless and weak and if you can't pick up what's really going on, you know, with the secret police guy, he looked secret police. He was dressed secret. I mean, he was not in military. He was just in a suit. But, you know, some people dress the part. It's like seeing a Fed, right? Like the Fed, the Fed's infiltrating uh, things. It's, you know, they got their little short haircuts. They just look like Feds, right? So there's no big secret. But when we looked at back in the French resistance and who the spies were, uh, that one of their, when they started to bring women in, you know, nobody was threatened by women. Nobody suspected a middle-aged woman with gray hair in a bun, right? She was just some lady taking food out to the fields. Nobody thought she was transporting secret documents. So, you know, we're very assumptive in the obvious, but unless we're able to really tune in to the information our nervous system is giving us, and it's there, it's always there. It's whether we value it as a skill set. And the reality is, is that most people don't, but it can be a highly defined wired for danger skill set. Uh, because Somebody has to be the scout. Somebody has to be paying attention. And it has to be conscious. And that was my mistake at the market, right? I wasn't interested in the dogs. I was interested in focusing on information gathering, 
Uh, and so I was lucky that they did not slip their collar and bolt at 100 miles an hour into the street with oncoming traffic at 70 miles an hour. You know, bad me. And we won't be doing that mistake again. But it brings back to what is wisdom and what are warnings, right? People are screaming warnings, danger, 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 and almost nobody can listen. And what makes it really difficult right now is that there's all this danger, but we don't know what to do about it. We're just sort of in fear as things are rolling down the pike and sustained danger is not good for us. So there's a lot to all this. Uh, I know it's not something that people really consider valuable. I just don't know what else is more important because these are the things that get us killed. These are the things that get the people we love and the animals we care about not healthy and happy. And it's not the kind of thing that you can just uh, pretend it's all going to go away. I mean, this capacity to understand ourselves, this is it, man. We are moving into periods of time where uh, if we don't understand who we are in the faces of face of crisis and danger, uncertainty, stress, uh, you can't hide who you are in times of stress. And so, the more we can understand ourselves and the people that are surrounding us, the better we're going to do. And so that's why I keep talking about it because I don't hear anybody else. I hear a lot of people telling you what to be afraid of. Uh, I hear a lot of people telling you to, to buy things and do things. I don't hear anybody talking about who we are in the context of all of this. And that's our most powerful skill, tool, and reality. Because just in that one tiny moment, she saved their life in the grocery store. And in that small act of kindness that pastor made something, this guy hated the army, made something unbearable, slightly more bearable. And this is who we are at default. We need all of us. But unless we can understand who we are, then we react in a way that is often detrimental. You humiliate the pastor and make him feel stupid. You dismiss her intuition and say, she's crazy. Nobody's following you. We dismiss, we push away, we discard, we shame, we humiliate, we laugh, we kill, we attack, we hate what we don't understand. And the more we value the process of understanding both ourselves and others, the better it will be for both us, our family, our community, and our world. But if we don't value it, if we don't consider it valuable, if we just value hiding in our house with our guns, right, or running around listening to people who tell us what we want to hear, nothing changes. And do not trust the slick people the more slick they are, the more you got to worry about them. Uh, you know, I find that is such a tip off. When you are absolute and you announce how you're smart and you know everything, those are the people you need to be worried about. And so uh, they are manipulating you through your nervous system. They are manipulating through your fear. And when we don't understand who we are and we don't understand what's happening, 
We want something somewhere outside of us to make us feel safe. And that is your weakness. That is our weakness. That is how bad things happen. So deep breath, my friends. Uh, I hope you have a fabulous day and I will see you next time.